You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. E-S-N-Y. Excited to have on Kirk Henderson, who is the editor and chief of Mavs Moneyball. Kirk, how's it going, man? Thanks for coming on the pod. Sure, happy to talk Mavs. It's it's kind of this odd dead period for me where I'm trying trying to think of things to write about. So maybe talking with you guys will give me ideas. <laughs> Absolutely, and and uh, you know I know Chip uh, probably feels the same way. We were both looking at the site before. You know the content is great especially some of the roundtables that you guys do, some of that more free-form kind of conversation in, in terms of writing. Like, all of that stuff is great. So I, I, I do agree. I think we'll have uh, a bunch of stuff to talk about, and I'm sure it'll it'll inspire a piece or two here and there. Sure. Let's get at it. Um, so first things first, uh, as we usually do with the writers that we bring on the show, we talk a little bit about the history of the fandom. Uh, and I, we were saying a little bit uh, offline before we got on here, that we would kind of ask you to, to take a little bit of a trip down memory lane. If you can share some of your best memories as a Mavs fan, how far back they go. Um, you know, Chip and I, we, we definitely like that franchise as well. So I'm sure we'll be able to kind of um, get in a little bit there as well. So I moved to Dallas in the mid-90s, like right as at the beginning of what in, what football fans would consider the Quincy Carter era of the Dallas Cowboys fandom. Like wow. Right Troy Aikman. Wow. So what a name drop. In, in, in the mid-90s, all Dallas teams, I mean, I don't, it's baseball sport probably. I don't remember the Rangers being good <laughs> then, but like all Dallas teams were kind of trash in the mid-90s. The Mavericks were super trash. They yes. were like a bit... One of like them and like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were like the two worst sports franchises of the '90s um, in terms of like win loss percentage. And so I remember like the the first real clear like super clear Mavs memory. I know I was like I know I started watching them when Dirk got drafted because that was like the lockout year was so weird that there was like a lot of basketball on at, in that '99 season that that the Knicks went all the way to the finals. And I remember watching basketball and like. Dirk was an odd dude. Like, they played him at, like, small forward. They played him at center. Like, Don Nelson was really strange with what he was trying with Dirk. And I remember a little bit of stuff like that. But the first game that really stands out in my memory was when they went uh, against the playoffs. This went back when they actually did five-game series, um, which I hope they would go back to one day. And they got down 0-2 to the Jazz. And the Jazz had beaten them the year before. Carl Malone just used to pistol whip Dirk. It was something brutal. And the, I still remember where I was standing on, on the third game. They, they fought back from an 0-2 hole. They took the Jazz all the way to the end of the game. And a guy uh, whose name is in the news more and more recently uh, named Calvin Booth uh, hit a, a game-winning layup uh, after Michael Finley, like, mega-traveled on this step-back pass. Like, it was – James Harden would have been proud. I, I – I, I still remember, like, really clearly. I can't believe they didn't call it. And then, like, so that that game really spurred my, my Mavs fandom because the early 2000s Mavs were really, like, precursors along with, like, the Kings for some of these weird, you know, run-and-gun teams we see today. And so I, I got into, to, you know, really watching them. They were a lot of fun, but they were, they, you know, 
they were kind of a team out of time because the Lakers were just so dominant then. There's an incredible, I want to say it's the 0102 basketball reference page. If you go look at it, they carried like seven centers because the Mavericks were so worried about Shaquille O'Neal just destroying them. So they wanted all these fouls. There's a guy, uh, Evan Eschmeyer played for the team, made like $40 million off the Mavs. Like there's some outstanding like that dude Mavs that, you know, that, that would be really fun to, to talk about like in an obscure podcast, but that's not what this is. Um, and so I, 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 you know, follow them all the way through going to college, like watching games with college up in California. And I, I still, I, I, the game, they wore the silver jerseys and got annihilated by the Lakers. Like was one of my, I was at a bar with a bunch of friends and they were all Lakers fans, like super embarrassing. So like, there's just all these, like, I can kind of like, milestone moments in my life with like Mavs and stuff. And then, you know, when I graduated college, I was like looking for, I got married, was looking for something to do and just sort of started commenting on websites and then kind of fell into the writing just because someone was like, you know, do you want to like help? You know, it's back in the late two thousands, I think. And I've just kind of stumbled along ever since then. And mainly the, I, I would argue the only reason I'm editor of Mavs Moneyball is because no one else wanted to do it. And that's how I ended up with the gig. So you know, here we are uh, many years later. I, I I drunkenly stated in 2017, like one game into the season on Twitter, that if uh, that if uh, uh, the Mavs somehow stumbled into Luka Doncic, that Dirk would come back for his 21st season. And then that happened, and I was like, that was a really fun moment. So it's, it's, been, a, it's been a weird, weird ride. This, is, this year was actually probably the most fun I've had since the championship year by far. That is uh, that is an awesome story, um, and I, I really enjoyed hearing about your Nostradamus moments. I mean, aren't aren't drunk tweets the best? I mean, don't mm. don't they really just kind of? Um... Well, and, and watching Dennis <laughs> Smith Jr. results in a lot of drinking. Oh God! So you gotta, you know, so those, that was happening a lot in in uh, rookie rookie uh, Dennis Smith Jr. days. So yeah. Um, we, we know all about that. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit as well. Um, but I think the the best place to start, it's, it's with literally, um, one of, if not the most exciting young player in the NBA, Luka Doncic, what an amazing season, uh, 28, nine and eight or eight and nine. Um, uh, fourth team, I'm sorry, first team all NBA, fourth in MVP voting, I, I mean, like, you must just pinch yourself every day, or at least when you're writing, like, I get to watch this, like, unbelievable rising star just become, um, you know, probably one of the best players ever in the franchise. Who knows where he'll rank among the greats uh, as he continues to get better. What do you think is his ceiling? Do you think he can be the best player in the league? And is his most likely comp? Um, maybe a better form of James Harden. It's really tough for me. Uh, I had super high expectations for his rookie year, something like 14, five and five. And then he averaged like, you know, like 28 and seven dude. And then came back and without a three point shot. Cause I mean, man, is that guy's three point shot? It's either all going in or nothing. Yeah. It is rough. Um, Without a three-point shot, he upped his game to a truly, truly un- like remarkable level. Mavis fans complain about how he doesn't get calls. I'm like, guys, he shoots the fourth um, fourth number of, of free throws in the league. Yeah. The guy gets hammered, and he and he shoots free throws for it. It's like they, they can't call all of them. Um, I, I really – this is really blasphemous, and it's been said a little bit, but I think with the way he wants to play, I think he wants to play more like LeBron James. Okay. I think his in where his best use might be more like James Harden. So intentionality is going to be really interesting to see what he wants to do because he's a really good off ball player, but he doesn't want to play off ball. Um, he, if he gets his three point shooting up, even like two percentage points, if he's at like 34%, just a little bit more of a threat. I mean, God, the guy shot like nine threes a game. Then he, he could, he could really be otherworldly. His free throw percentages need to go up. There's still a lot of area for him to improve. But I, I think the question, which is a fair question, even if I don't like the way it's phrased sometimes, is is that really a sustainable thing for like an NBA playoff environment? Um, against the Clippers, particularly in the Game 4 series where he had something, I want to say it was like 43, 17, and 13, just an 
outrageous stat line. The, he kind of answered that with yes, but I just don't know if that's really the sort of thing that you can continue to do past maybe the first round. James Harden certainly hasn't been able to do it. Uh, LeBron tends to just play at a different pace than Luka. Um, it's, it's hard for me to say. I do think that he is going to be kind of a, a top five NB, MVP guy for the next several years in terms of, of um, the way we talk about it. I think that there's a good chance that, like, narrative plays a big part in the MVP. So there's, like, an opportunity if the Mavericks were somehow, like, the two seed one year that, they're, that that's a potential for him. But I'm not sure what he would need to do numbers-wise because I keep looking at that stat line for a year two player and thinking, how does he do more than this? And I, I just don't have a good answer because he continuously surprises me with the things that he's done, uh, all while having these very obvious um, areas for improvement. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does, um, for sure. It's it's It is a fair question, right? Like, I guess how much... And maybe you and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you might also be um, pointing a little bit to how much team success can you have if the style of play mirrors um, something that's a little bit more similar to James Harden. Is that kind of correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because if you have a guy with this much usage, you have to build the team a very specific way and specialists. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know we'll get into KP, but there's, it's it's just one of these things where the pieces of the puzzle have to fit together very well, or else the Mavericks really aren't going to to get as far as they think they can. I feel, for example, this this current this first year that they got to the playoffs is a little bit of a missed opportunity. They stumbled around in the final eight games. Uh, Luca and and Porzingis, Seth Curry, like these guys, they just kind of farted around in some games. I think they went three and five or two and six in the final eight games because they settled on the Clippers. And the NBA playoffs, in a lot of in a lot of ways, is is there's a lot more luck involved than I think we'd like to admit. And I really feel that this year was an opportunity that they that they're going to be kicking themselves for because when you look at the way that the team is built going into 2020, they're not or 2020 21, they're not going to be able to make a ton of changes. And so watching, you know, how they how they build around Luca is going to be very interesting to me because it's it's a lot harder than it looks on the surface. Right. And sticking with that, actually, I was something that's interesting with Luca, in my opinion, is we've seen guys dominate early in their careers like this, like A.D. has dominated when he was a rookie. LeBron dominated when he was a rookie. But something different with them was they both played for poorly run franchises, organizations. Like Luca has the benefit of playing for Mark Cuban and Donnie Nelson. So like in your opinion, as someone who covers the team, what do you think the Mavericks are gonna do to try and enable Luca's prime and maybe even push the goalpost forward to try and make this championship run even quicker than possible? See, I'm of I'm of two minds about this because AD is a really great example, and if you look back at what the Pelicans tried to do, they really tried to speed up the timetable, and by doing so, they made so many mistakes that they inevitably, you know, their team crashed. I'm also not sure if really AD is that guy. Um, that's a little bit of a different story, but it, it's a good comparison point because as as we've been looking ahead to the off season, I'm very I'm, I'm very concerned about where the Mavericks actually think they are. Uh, as we've watched these like conference finals, nothing has stood out to me more than how important it is to have like the best guy in the series. Uh, watching what Jimmy Butler did to has done to the Celtics, and granted, that's more of it. They play a really interesting team style of basketball, but having like that dude, like kind of a, a definitive pecking order, I think is pretty important. It's been the same thing with the Nuggets and the Lakers. And so I, I, I sometimes wonder if I'm worrying too much because Luca's a very, very good basketball player. But he also played in a, in a rotation in the playoffs with, like, seven guys. Three of the dudes were undrafted. And at a certain point, like, talent matters. Like, I love me some Maxi Kleba, their 29-year-old, you know, other the, the second-best player from Würzburg, Germany. Um, but he's still an undrafted dude. It's it's in. You know, I'm, I'm sure you guys have seen this with, with other fan bases. Fan bases fall in love with the bit players. And oh, the Mavericks yeah. really need to know. 
I, I would say that there's not a single person on the roster that's untradeable past Luca because that's what they did with Dirk. They rotated guys in and out over a 10-year period, and they found the right mix. And I think that's what they do here. But, you know, some of the financial considerations that are going to be coming with, you know, the lack of revenue, what does that do? You know, Mark Cuban's old biggest asset before the previous CBA, so like the, the 2000s, was his willingness to spend. He has been a low-key cheapskate for quite a while. They haven't gone in the tax. They certainly haven't, you know, gone over the cap. It's been very frustrating to me, you know, that Dirk's final years were a little bit of a mess. So, I, so I'm, I'm curious to see what their level of investment is because, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter now, but they, they sat out the first part of free agency uh, going into this year because they signed Porzingis and were super thrilled with themselves. And then they just didn't do anything. And even though they had bird rights for like four guys that they ended up resigning, so they had this kind of artificial cap bubble that they could have created to go to sign guys to go over the cap, they did nothing. Their key offseason signing was DeLon Wright, who was a super train wreck. I mean, all, he was unplayable. And so Luca, much like Dirk before him, papers over a lot of problems. But they have to really make some decisions about how much they want to build around him. But that, that also makes me worried in the sense that I think that they could invest, like, you know, sitting off that two, two picks in this year's draft because they won't have any in, in uh, two of the next three after this because they're, they're worried about, you know, getting some mediocre veteran instead of a guy that could be ready in two years. You know, I, I could go on and on about this because it's, it's, it's like a multiverse thing where one wrong step, all of a sudden Luca is, is asking to be traded to the Lakers in 2026, mm. and I'm crying. Oh. I, I don't see that. He doesn't seem like that. But we say that about so many guys, and then they turn out <laughs> to, to do that. So who knows? We say that about Damian Lillard right now, and then in, in two years he's going to be on the Lakers. Who knows? Uh, right. They Personalities change all the time. A couple more years of getting bounced in the first round, and Dame could be asking for a trade. Who knows? But, yeah, you mentioned the pieces around uh, Luca, and you brought up, KP and me and Jeff are Knicks fans, so we do want to talk about Porzingis. It's unavoidable. The most divisive issue among Knicks fans, and Knicks, the Knicks and the Maz will be linked for Porzingis' entire career because oh, yeah. of this trade. So, as a Mavs fan, I know at where me and Jeff stand on the Porzingis trade. I, I think Jeff agrees with me. The Knicks, it's just they had to do it. The guy didn't want to be there, they had to trade him. But for you, Kirk, where are you on uh, the Porzingis trade? And what do you think of Porzingis, the player, right now after his first season with Dallas? So it's, it's really interesting because I was not initially pleased with the trade. I, I am a human, much like Porzingis, who has suffered through a number of stupid injuries and how that has like limited me. Now, I'm not a professional athlete, but it gave me a lot of concern about his long-term health. I still have that concern. Uh, however, the fact that it became, you know, very obvious very quickly that there was that Luca was the superior player in almost every sense of the word made that pairing a lot more workable. Porzingis, to his credit, took a back seat willingly, said all the right things, and then just went out and slowly worked himself into shape. He was a mess in 2019. He hadn't played in forever. His shot, I, I was like, everybody keeps telling me this dude's a shooter, and I don't see him hitting anything. Like, at what point are, you know, what are we talking about? He was one of the worst post-up players in the league this year, and yet, he still had, you know, he started rebounding the ball better, which he never really did. Like, he had games in and out as a Nick where he was rebounding. He, you know, the Mavs relied way too much on him at the rim. They're, they're not a good defensive team. But he played hard. He had a he had a stretch in February to March where he was just hitting everything under the sun. It was like one of those fifteen game stretches where you know the casual fan will start to expect that from him for all time. But he went from shooting um, on the season he shot something like 42 percent on post ups. But I remember during this fifteen game stretch he shot like seventy three percent on post ups, which it's just he's a really interesting guy. He played real hard. He battled through that torn meniscus because he actually tore it in the first game, and I think I I, I, I remember seeing the point in film where he did it. Uh, 
But, you know, the, the injury concerns remain. I mean, the man's never finished an NBA season. Like, that has to matter at some point. Uh, the fact that it was on his other knee, I think, freaked a lot of people out, but isn't super surprising. Um, I saw a video during the break of Tracy McGrady, like, fadeaway three-point shots, and that dude landed on his one leg all the time. When you're this big of a human being, you cannot do that forever. And Porzingis is the same way. He runs like a drunk baby deer. He lands in traffic, and it's horrifying to watch. I, I just I worry that at one point, like, the knee is going to pop off his leg. Um, but the Mavericks have a really good training staff, and they seem to know where his problems are. Um, he's just so wooden for for a player that is very gifted in certain athletic ways, but in other ways, he's just, it's like, can we get the man to take a yoga class? I don't know. It, there's, there's a lot of thoughts when it comes to Porzingis. I, I really, I, he outpaced my expectations. Uh, but I, I also kind of wonder what his actual ceiling is. If he's content being a second guy, then there's a lot he, he can do in the NBA. Yeah. We title this podcast drunk baby deer. Yes. I, I like that. <laughs> I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, you've no. seen his tip dunks where he's, he's a guy who would really benefit from swinging on the rim and reestablishing some balance before landing. But instead, he dunks like he like he's, you know, LeBron fought, like when, when that uh, Dwayne Wade to LeBron lob that everybody loves. Like, he does, yeah. like, the, the crazy landing, and I'm just I'm terrified every time he does anything involving, you know, going to the rim. So Every time he would... Every time you would hit the ground, you would be worried that there was something coming. Like, no. Every single time. I'll, I'll never forget my, uh, you know, my my good friend and roommate. We we noticed this in um, summer league when we drafted KP. You know, uh, you know, the initial thoughts were a little bit of like, who is this guy? You know, whatever. Um, and then you start to see him play. You see how skilled he is. But those issues of just not being aware of his body and the floor were present as soon as he came in the NBA. In Summer League, there are things that you saw that from a fan standpoint kind of warmed your heart a little bit, but just from like a rational, um, I don't know about this player's long-term health, scared the shit out of you. Like he would dive for loose balls, and whenever he would fall on the floor, like there was nothing graceful about it at all. And it, it was one of those things where I remember my friend looked at me and he was like, this kid is 7'3". Like, how how is he going to make it through an NBA season playing like this? Like, he almost has, like, a little bit of, um, God, who would they call a uh, crash? Um, Freaking uh, Wallace Chip uh, on the on the Nets. He played on the Nets for Gerald a little bit. Gerald Wallace. Gerald Wallace. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like, he has, like, that element a little bit of him to it. But one more thing I wanted to touch on KP – um, Kirk, as someone who, who followed this team and, and watched them obviously a lot this year, one of the criticisms for Porzingis when he was with us was that he apparently didn't want to play center. Um, and with kind of Carlisle's five-out offense, um, that would seem like the most sensible position for him, even though his defense can be a little bit tough sometimes. He, he His blocks block numbers are good, but... Uh, generally, he doesn't, at least from what I, what I remember of him, didn't really want to mix it up with the big bodies down there. And given his injury history, you could kind of see why. But uh, going forward, do you see him um, just continuing to hold down that power forward position, or do you see him shifting to the five eventually? I think they'll do a little bit here and a little bit there. They were forced to play him at five after Dwight Powell went down, and that was when the offense – took a dip like they're already outstanding but it, it took a different level but as evidenced by his eventual knee injury I think that they are concerned with how much wear and tear he has in any situation where he's flying at the rim and, and landing on his knee so I, I think that what we'll see is a little bit uh, situational uh, type things where he and, and Powell will probably interchangeably play out there like Dwight Powell you know, he's like a 30% three-point shooter, which is still pretty terrible, but he's like he's, he has that willingness to shoot, which is fairly important in the Maverick offense. So I think we'll see some. I, I It's funny because we're, we're having a debate on the site Slack like right now. Someone suggested, like, can the Mavericks play him the way the Spurs played Duncan, which was, you know, 28, 29 minutes a game, but having like four backups for Duncan 
where they then, you know, kind of play different guys depending on matchups those other 20 minutes. And the Mavericks won't do that because they, they need more wing depth. But it, it's it's kind of interesting in the sense of that's what they may – that's the thought process is, you know, you, you have an NBA star, you play him $30 million a year, he, play, he pays or plays 35 to 40 minutes a night. Right. I just don't know if Porzingis is going to be able to do that. I just don't think it, his body can't take it. It's we have evidence. Like this is not new. It's just kind of the deal that you get whenever you get a guy like him. Yeah, um, I, I I could definitely see that. But you know what? I, I will say that the Mavs have have proved themselves to be a pretty smart, uh, forward thinking you know a franchise when it comes to the basketball operations. So I, I think the point you bring up, I think that I could see them doing that. You know, having a lot of just depth behind him to spare him some of those minutes. Um, yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Um, another area that I wanted to look at, again, is as you're talking to two Knicks fans, um, I was pleasantly surprised to see Tim Hardaway Jr. play well for you guys. Um, he's the second highest play, uh, player on the Mavs right now, uh, but he did play well, shot 39% from three. Obviously, with the Knicks, he was, he was very much out of place in terms of a role. We wanted him to be the lead guy. Uh, that was never going to be really in the cards for him. But would it be too over overly simplistic of me to say that his success is just basically he's playing with Luca, who is um, you know a transcendent playmaker, and being coached by Rick Carlisle, who both Chip and I absolutely love. We think he's an awesome coach. Um, what did you see from Tim this year that maybe? And I, I know you saw him a little bit last year too. But what did you see from him this year that was like, huh? You know, I didn't. I didn't really know he could do that, or I, I didn't know he could play like that. I curse. Oh, absolutely! Please, okay. yeah. So the key to Tim Hardaway's game this year, in my opinion, was giving him what was telling him, "Look, Tim, if you're gonna take a bullshit shot, make it a three pointer. Right, Just make it a three pointer." And that really seemed to unlock something because. If you look up his advanced stats, like he was really good on three. Like he was the like seventeenth best three point shooter in the league on like seven shots a game. Like there's volume, and he was even he was way better than any season he's ever had from three, which makes me think it's you know kind of one of these seasons. But he cut out just enough of the horse crap that he had had kind of gotten into playing with the Knicks and with our, the Hawks before that, and all this sort of stuff where. He, in his mind, he's the star. Yes, yes. He'll never, he'll never cop to that in interviews, but I've heard enough stuff that, like, that dude carries himself like he's, you know, like mid-90s Shawn Michaels. He just <laughs> thinks he is it. And he's a really good basketball player, but after six years, seven years in the league, whatnot, he also hadn't won much. So I think there's a little bit of calm A, a little bit of calm B with, with where he is. Because you know you got an alpha dog like Luca, and and he's he he kind of saw where you know where where his his bread could be buttered if he would just you know go to the right spots. Because Carl's spacing, a lot of teams just won't commit to that much spacing, and he got some great shot opportunities this year. And he's he's just he's an interesting player. I'm going to be very interested to see where what he decides to do, whether he opts into that final year, whether he thinks he can make some money on the market. Um, I really like him. He was a key. Putting him in the starting lineup at about 20 games in was another one of these elements during the season that kept the offense humming. Um, he He's an interesting – he's just such an odd guy to watch. Like, Zach Lowe repeatedly referred to him as, like, a pretty good defender, which, no. I, I, I Like, maybe he's a good defender for how terrible the Mavs are, but, like, that poor guy, Paul George wore him like a coat in the Clippers series, and it was unfortunate. Um, there were a couple of games, you know, Penny, you never want to see a guy like fail, but he had just enough like lackluster performances against the Clippers that makes me think that he'll come back as a Maverick and be kind of happy with it because they, they really shut him down, uh, uh fairly, fairly often during that series. So yeah, I, I liked Tim Hardaway. He, he made a comment earlier, early, early in media day, how, about how he was going to be Michael Finley to, uh, the, uh, Luca and KP's Nash and Dirk. And I was offended, and then he ended up kind of living up to it. So it was fun. So I already know um, when we, when we tweet this episode out, you've already dropped like 
just two classic lines that I'm going to put in the tweet. So, oh, the Shawn Chris, Michaels Chris, line. Yeah, I, the- I mean, that's just genius. So, like, Chris Stubbs Porzingis as a drunk baby deer is just, like, I can literally see that picture. And then mid-90s Shawn Michaels is, like... Can we add the gif of him, oh. like, with the suck in the dick thing? Because <laughs> <laughs> that, like, doesn't that... That's just how he acts. Yeah, like, no, it is. It really like is. He's the best dude all the time. Yeah. Which I respect. Because... Yeah. His dad often, it was incredible. When his dad came to Mavs games, there was like a sizable percentage difference in the man shooting. We were hoping he could somehow come to the bubble, and it just never happened. Yeah. Um, that That's that's awesome. Uh, but that, there's um, another salary cap piece. We've touched on it a little bit already, but I kind of want to spin it a different way. So as you mentioned before, uh, the Mavs have quite a bit of money tied into multiple players for multiple years. Um, and I do, looking at the Cavs roster as it's currently constructed, I definitely wonder about the ceiling of, of this kind of like core of complementary players that includes like Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba, DeLon Wright, Dorian Finney-Smith. I'm a, I'm a huge Dorian Finney-Smith. I love that kid. Um, but do you, of, of any of the guys that I've mentioned, do you think there's a shot that um, one of them or multiple players won't be on the roster next year? Uh, what do you think, or, and, and my, the second piece of that is, do you have faith in the front office to swing a trade that kind of, um, increases competitiveness in the Western conference? So it sounds stupid that I, to say that I wouldn't have faith in a front office that understood that drafting Luca was the next franchise move and then drafted, then traded for Chris Porzingis. So I do have a lot of faith. I would be some of this boils down to how involved Mark Cuban is in some of these things. Donnie Nelson is among one of basketball's finest minds over the last 30 years. He's unbelievably influential with how basketball is played both here and in Europe with some of the decisions that he's made based off of who he's drafted. I think he was, he was also the, uh, he was either the coach or the GM for the, um, the other dream team back in 92, uh, the, the, what was it? What? I can't remember the country. Um, but he, he's just a really smart guy who seems to have an eye on what can work. I think everyone on the roster makes it through uh, this off season. I, my eye would be on the trade deadline for what's happening next year. They have three or four guys who are all on the same uh contract a slate like they were signed at the same time they come off at the same time Kleba Finney Smith and then there's one more guy um it's not Seth it might be like Boban oh Seth Curry was the other guy I forgot to mention in that yeah Mm -hmm. I I think Seth sticks around but the real the Mavericks are not a young team they have a young superstar and they have Porzingis who is ostensibly entering his prime uh but Kleba's 27 I'm sorry Kleba's 29 Dorian Finney Smith is uh, 27 and Curry is 29 and Curry has lots of, uh, lots of injury issues. He, he seems to be made out of peanut brittle, uh, plays real hard, but it's just, it's, it's kind of, it's just the way his frame is. He's a smaller guy. Uh, Dwight Powell had his injury and it makes a ton of money. It's, it's, I wouldn't be surprised if they do something, but really they are limited with the assets that they gave up to both go get Luca and then to get, Chris uh, uh, in that you know that they have these two draft pieces this year, which I wouldn't be surprised if they flip one of them for either another draft pick at another time or another asset on another team. But I have some faith, but there's just a lot of landmines out there because I don't think they can afford to place long term the roster that they had around the team this year. Uh, uh, Trey Burke played significant minutes in the bubble, like that should concern Mavs fans. Um, <laughs> It's it's very it's very curious what with where they were, and I, I remember seeing a stat right after the regular season, maybe it was after yeah after the, the official like the bubble eight games where uh, Dorian Finney-Smith and uh, Maxi Kleba were two of the top ten guys of in, in terms of volume of three point shots off of wide open passes, uh, and we know the reason for that it's Luka Doncic. And if you're a guy like Maxi Kleba shooting 37% on wide open shots, same for Dorian Finney-Smith, I don't want to be, you know, negative Nancy here, but you got to do better. I mean, 
Magic Kleba was terrible against the Clippers. He hits a couple more shots. That that whole thing was a little bit different. Um, Dorian Finney-Smith just went through some rough stretches. If you have one better shooter, a guy who can hit some more – who can hit some more of these wide open shots or is the Maverick season different? I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's really concerning to me, but I, I will say to answer your question, I, I have faith. I'm just, I've been kicked in the shins enough the last, you know, before Luca to, to wonder if the Mavs kind of know what's going on. So that kind of goes into my next question. Cause I was going to ask you if the, you thought they would target, anyone in free agency because I saw when I was right before we came on I was looking at some things and someone I think the guy's name was uh, Mike Fisher from Sports (laughs) Illustrated Mm -hmm. put something out today that said Dallas might be interested in Montrez Harrell that came Uh, from Sam Sam Amico over at the Athletic but he didn't credit him but yes oh okay all right but uh, I I don't know if that's like I don't know where he is no I I, I don't think so. They they need wing depth more than anything else because Luca sometimes can't guard a chair. They had nobody who could really guard perimeter players. Finney Smith was okay, but I felt like every Maverick player got beat off the dribble with a single dribble. So, and that's not something that's really going to be sustainable. So they they I, I w- they're probably going to pack wing depth if I if I'm honest because Luca's such a good rebounder and Porzingis showed to be better than he had been before. I think um, that that also kind of leads us into you know the draft. I was looking at Mavs Money Ball as well. You guys have been doing some roundtables and um, some prospect articles. Eighteenth um, and thirty-first pick. Uh, are there some names that are on kind of like the top of your list? Obviously, the draft is way you know it's it's November eighteenth. But um, are there some guys that you're looking at right now? So I have one of these guys that, that if I start going down a draft rabbit hole, I won't come up. And so I've not really looked a ton. I know a lot of our fans are super interested in a Villanova guy named um, Sadiq Bay. Sadiq Bay. Okay. Sadiq Bay. Yeah. And and I'm not I'm not sure. Um, I will say that that the it kind of comes down to your your opinion on do the Mavs need depth of wing. Do they want another or different combo guard? Because I'm not sure if Jalen Brunson, who is their backup guy this year, if he's it for them um, with what they want from these picks, or do they just want one? It seems like when you watch these playoffs and obviously a lot can happen, the drafts, these drafts are going to be so, this draft is going to be so strange. It, It might feel a little bit like a fantasy football draft where there's a run on big wings, even if the guys aren't projected out very good. Um, I, our, our fan base loves this guy out of TCU. We wrote about him. Desmond, Desmond Bain. Bain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's just got a cool name. I'm, I'm in it for the name. Yeah. But I don't have a ton of, of strong opinions. Like, my 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 fanboy brain really wants them to draft that, that like, I mean, he looks like he was made in a lab, This this that Poku kid. Oh, my God. <laughs> so weird. Like, I it's like, hey, what if you could have two Porzingis? And like everybody yells at me whenever <laughs> I say these sort of things. But and I, I, I'm pretty sure the Celtics are going to take him and then turn him into a subpar player because that's what you know. I don't know. That's what they do with <laughs> range picks. They they only succeed with their top with their top ten picks. Um, I don't know. It, it's 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 tough for me because I think philosophically, my brain points back to 2003, 2004. The Mavericks drafted Josh Howard and then Marquise Daniels, and both of those guys played in their rookie year. And then both of those guys were important as they built towards their final run. So I, I don't know who they should pick, but I'm very of the opinion that they need to be they need to pick someone because rookie talent and cost-controlled salaries are key for teams that are on the rise. Yeah, that's a, I mean, 18 is a nice area uh, based on some of the research that I've done there. Um, You know, I think another guy that'll be available, it's funny because Desmond Bain, he's, he's kind of slotted to be this late first round, early second round pick, but there's been so much hype around him. I have a feeling he will go a little bit higher and who knows, maybe he makes it up all the way to 18. If, If you're looking at wing depth, um... You know, there's a guy I really like that I think will be around there at 18, but, you know, he's, you know, it's going to be rough defensively, but he does some stuff on tape. Uh, Tyrell Terry out of Stanford, 
I really, really enjoy watching him a lot. Um, you know, there's this guy from Charleston, Grant Riller, that's getting a lot of, you know, you know, kind of high praise as well. Though, no matter what, at 18 and even 31, like there will be a good player, like even Jalen Smith out of Maryland. He's been around. He's been kind of around the 25 to 27 range. Um, yeah, it just depends on kind of what they want. But they, you know, I, I agree with you. They they should draft uh, somebody in that vein. I think. So I have a I'm a monster. I've been looking at this guy for two for since middle of his freshman year. He's not going to get picked by the Mavericks. He'll probably go like middle of the second round. But I love this guy out of Arkansas, Isaiah Joe. Oh yeah, yep. You, if you were to take a guess, his per 100 possessions, three-point shot attempts, what would you guess? Well, so I, I, I know a little bit about this. Um, I know his volume over – because, Kirk, correct me if I'm wrong, but he did three or four years there, right? He's a, he, he, he tore – I think he tore something and sat out a good chunk of this year – or the tail end of this year. He's only He would only be a junior if he came back, so he's coming out as a sophomore. <sighs> per four – because I remember – it's it was like his his three point percentage this year dipped a little bit, but it, it was like a lot. but but I think in time because he was doing more right? right. But but the thing was, it was like over four hundred attempts. He was like thirty seven percent or something like that. But per 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 hundred possessions, if I had to guess, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I would probably say it's it's it's, a, it's around what like thirty eight, thirty nine percent, something so, like that. So his his averages for per game. Were ten point six three point attempts oh per game, God. like Holy in Christ. normal minutes. <laughs> and so I'm watching that Heat game from last night, and watching Tyler Hero just go to work. And I'm sitting there thinking, what if I had like, what if Luka Doncic could pass the Tyler Hero? That's where my brain was. And it's like the answer there is, oh no, for opposing defense, right? Because I, I, it's hard to play defense in the modern NBA. I had so much fun watching the Mavericks just try to outscore dudes. Now, granted, they they were terrible in clutch games, but it was an outstanding, like, just shooting and scoring whatever was great. Felt like 80s basketball. I don't know. I'm crazy. Yeah, I, I, listen, um, the only thing I would, the only thing that's tough is uh, with the wing depth that, you know, for the Mavs, um, they might want to talk, target a defender. I, I yeah, mean, probably will. I mean, the thing is, <laughs> but the thing is, and this is actually a, a real quick thing, and I, and I know Chip probably uh, feels similar about this. So, you know, you talked about the Mavs loving that loving that 15th guy on the bench. Uh, this is not the 15th guy on the bench, but Nick's Twitter is, is often quite divided on Frank Nilakina. Um, but... Uh, in kind of that philosophy of preaching patience, Finney Smith was a guy that, at least from what I read, um, had great, you know, defensive instincts, uh, talent, and everyone kept saying, just wait for the shot. It's going to come. It's going to come. And then it finally did. Um, you know, I, 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 that's kind of what I'm hoping. I think a little oh, bit, right? For Finney, you're talking about for Finney yeah, Smith. Yeah, for Finney I Smith. You're talking about for and, and this is what I'm hoping can happen for Nilakina. Um, but again, Kirk, is that just, you know, Finney Smith is playing with, with one of like the best gravity guys out there in Luka Doncic or is it, did this guy, all his hard work just finally pay off? He had a pretty good start to his, to, to the year before last and then just tanked following, um, all-star break. So I think it's, it's a little bit of confidence and belief in himself. He was kind of funny to watch at times. I would always... The year before last, or last time Wes Matthews was a Maverick, I would use that gift from the office of Stanley dribbling in the game because that's how Wes would do it. And and that, it, Dorian Finney-Smith took over that mantra this year because every time he dribbled, I'd be like, no, don't, don't do it. And so it was fun to watch him just catch and shoot because he had he had a ton of attempts on his career. He was a 30% three-point shooter up until this year where he shot, I think, like 30, 37.5%. I, I feel that where he shoots the ball is is almost as important as anything. He was money from the right corner, something like 41%, 42%. Everywhere else, it was kind of a grab bag. But the way the Mavericks played, he ended up with a lot of corner threes. And so it, it, it's it's a product of both system and and, and really hard work. Uh, he, he I, I, for the longest time, was one of the people who didn't want him on the team 
So that he, he proved me wrong was pretty fun to watch in that sense. So I, I'd be curious to see if the Mavericks where they value him because he's a good he's an unbelievable offensive rebounder from the three point uh, line like any three point shot he's one of the better offensive rebounders of those attempts. Um, Not only that his contract is so affordable too. I mean right. he's making four he, million a year. He's a guy that I could see going both ways, where they keep him because he's valuable, or they move him because he's valuable. Yeah. It's like the Marcus Smart contract that they always talk. They're similar there. Because similar, I mean, Smart's three-point shot is also picked up, and their contract, they always talk about two of the most tradable contracts in the NBA. Everybody always brings up Smart getting traded. No, I like Finney Smith a lot, but he would definitely – like, if they were to make a move to get a guy, I feel like he would be involved. He would have to be involved. I think so, He's too. a – yeah. I'd want him if I were another Yeah, I, I, I would take him, too. Um, Kirk, before we get you out of here, um, we always ask, you know, some of our writers, you know, favorite Mavs player of all time, uh, favorite Mavs memory as well. Oh, man. Favorite Mavs player. It's not not Calvin Booth, uh, who I, I got to see at Summer League a couple years ago, and I was standing on the media elevator with him, and I was just like, I, I kind of fanboyed out. But my second favorite would have to be someone else. I, I My mother, when she was, you know, when she was sending me a bunch of crap in my childhood, my parents decided they didn't want this stuff in their house anymore. Among one of the things she sent me was this picture of me and Popeye Jones. Wow. Has floated around the league. It was, was summer of 96. He, I was at a basketball camp, and he got traded to the Raptors during the basketball camp, so he just, like, wasn't there. And it's funny that he got traded to the Raptors there because uh, his son is a professional hockey player, if I remember correctly. And, like, getting traded to Toronto was one of the things, like, led to him playing hockey. But anyways, last summer at Summer League, I saw Popeye Jones. And I found the picture on my phone because it was just such a terrible picture. I can send it to you guys because I've definitely put it on Twitter because it's just one of those things that you have to make fun of me about. So I pulled it up and I walked up and I was like, you know, you know, Mr. Jones, I just want to let you know that 20 years ago you were really key for me, part of my basketball experience. And here's you and me at your basketball camp right before you got traded to the Raptors. And we're standing behind the media stanchion at the Vegas thing, and he just starts laughing so loud. <laughs> That people turn around and look at us, <laughs> and he, like, he was like, "Oh wow!" So like, low key, it has to be kind of Popeye Jones, but for like an actual player, I loved the brief stint of Nick Van Exel. Oh yeah, so Nick awesome. the Quick, yeah, Nick Van Exel yeah. a lot is is awesome. You know, it's funny. I think for me, I I I always it's a cop out, but I always loved Michael Finley. Um, sure. like, like watching him play, just liked how long his, his career ended up being, but he was, he was definitely somebody that, uh, you know, I, I, I always, you know, if, if I knew he was on and, and a Nick game wasn't on, I was like, you know what, let me watch Michael Finley for a little bit. He's, he's a fun guy to go look at his basketball reference page. Cause like coach Bud would die looking at the man's minutes totals. Cause <laughs> there was one, there's like a six year stretch where he averages, 39 and a half minutes a game one year where he got traded from the suns to the Mavs, he actually played 83 regular season games like the dude was a machine and it explains kind of why he just died by the end of the spurs (laughs) because he played so much basketball in a short time but finley is an excellent choice yeah finley's a good one i mean dirk is the obvious cop-out answer yeah he was so fun to watch but i i was gonna say other than dirk like Jet Terry was always really cool. I, I always like watching Jason Terry. He was fun to watch. He, yeah. he was just a badass, tough guy. Played for a long time. Just fun guy to watch. And good defender, good shooter. Always liked watching him. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed Jet. He's a lunatic, and he's like <laughs> an ult, kind of an ultimate no, 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 yes player. Yeah, um, yeah. He, he, he single-handedly ended ended the Lakers, you know, three-peat in 2011, where on Mother's Day he shot 9 of 10 from three-point range because the, the illustrious Phil Jackson thought that giving corner threes was a good defensive strategy. So, yeah, love me, love me some Jet. Chip, it was uh, J.R. Smith that elbowed Jason Terry in the face and then got suspended during the playoffs, right? I believe it was the legend who did that yes yes i I just that was that was great and i think i could be wrong on this but i believe that was also the game 
where the Knicks wore um, all black as you know, like a like a funeral because they were going to take out the the Celtics. And because I, I think it was they they were up three zero or three one or something like that, and then the Celtics end up winning that game. Whatever, it was just ridiculous. But that's that's like the first Jason Terry memory that pops up in my mind. Um, but getting back to the Mavs, Kirk. Honestly, man, it's been awesome talking with you. Uh, this was this was a great pod. Um, you know, one of the things we like to do is, you know, hopefully if there's something that happens in Mavs land in the future, send you a DM, have you back on the show to, to, to kind of break it down for us. Um, you know, that would be, uh, definitely awesome. But, you know, I know Chip feels the same way. Uh, definitely great talking with you today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on guys. Let me know if I can do anything for you. Definitely. And, uh, real quick before, uh, before we, we let you go, if you could just uh, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter. Um, if you're working on anything right now in terms of writing that you want to promote, uh, please do so. So my Twitter handle is Kirk Serious Face. I should have changed it years ago, but you know when you have a bit, you stick with it. Uh, and I'm not really writing anything at the moment, though I am uh, beating all of my writers with a pool noodle to turn anything in because we're just kind of in this. You know, we have draft and then like this nebulous free agency, and I just don't want to talk about free agency in specific because it's like the ultimate sports talk radio thing. So all of a sudden, we're going to have some more things. You look for uh, our site. If you look up the articles of a guy named Ryan Mainville, he's been really pumping out stuff. He put out something about Luka Doncic and the pick and roll that I found just really smart but approachable. Um, So, yeah, that'd be one thing I'd recommend. Awesome. Uh, Well, we will definitely check that out once again. Uh, Thanks for coming on. And from Chip and I, uh, we hope everybody is staying safe, and we'll talk to you soon.